after these messages, we'll be right back. I can't believe I ate that whole thing. Are you in good hands? And now, a word from our sponsors. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of After These Messages, the podcast where we talk about television commercials. We talk about the best ones, we talk about the worst ones, and we talk about the ones where people say weird shit like this. Too hot for the North Pizzle. My name is Andrew Walsh. I'm here with Genevieve Haz. Genevieve, hello. Hi, Andrew. So, um, I was driving somewhere with you over the weekend and I said, Genevieve, I had a great idea for a topic for the show, but I was washing dishes and my hands were wet and I said, I'll write it down later. And then I forgot. And I had lived for about two days trying to remember what this wonderful, maybe even perfect idea for an After These Messages show topic might be. Mm -hmm. And then, like a bolt of lightning while we were driving, I remembered. You did. The the idea butterfly landed back on my shoulder or something. Um, But now I don't know if it was as good as I built it up to be. Because I told you it was just like the best idea in the world. I thought it was a pretty good idea. Well, we're going to do it. Yeah. We're going to do it. After all of that, we're doing the damn idea. One thing it definitely was was an easy idea. (laughs) And that, in my mind, makes it the best idea. Uh, Do you want to explain what it was? Yes. Andrew's idea. Andrew's idea. Andrew's idea was... Not only do I wash the dishes... By the way, I also come up with the ideas. <laughs> Was to look at commercials that are directed by famous directors. Uh, now, we've looked at other commercials in the past where we sometimes have stumbled upon. Uh, a commercial that was directed by someone famous because it fit into some other category that mm-hmm. we were looking at. Uh, Wes Anderson uh, comes to mind. We, he did a Stella Artois one that we talked about and um, a SoftBank one with Brad Pitt that, that was based on like a French, some old French movie. And I want to jump in here and say if people think they're having deja vu or maybe, hey, I thought you did cover it. Those Wes Anderson ones came up in a kind of similar topic where we were looking at uh, commercials that starred famous Hollywood actors. That's right. And so I think maybe Bruce Will uh, Brad Pitt's Brad in that Pitt one. Was in, so anyway, we did do the, you know, the, the famous people on that side of the camera lens, but we thought maybe we can look at famous directors. Today. Yeah, and I think it's kind of in some ways more interesting because directors more than actors put a stamp on their work. Right. Um and so to what degree does that stamp uh visible in the commercials that they make? Uh for some of these very high-flying directors, you know, why are they, are, is this just a paycheck? Like, why Why get back into this short-form medium? Right. Okay, so we're going to do that, and then, uh, of course, we'll check in with the Ad Council. Anything in the Ad Council of note today that you want to tease me with? Um, just uh, just some good feedback on the last couple of shows we've done, and, and okay. a voicemail. All right, well, let's get into this. Hello, Hollywood, here I am, young and alive and kicking. Telling stories and picking my guitar Dreaming I'm a star in Beverly Hills Lighting big cigars with dollar bills Hello Hollywood I can't decide if I really hate that song or really love that song. Have you heard it before? No. I just found it. It's by uh, Mac Davis. I think I like it. It reminds me of... um, it's very Burt Bacharach like. Yes, and a little uh, is it Sebastian oh folk singer Sebastian oh please be worth it John Sebastian. I think he was in the Love and Spoonful, right? Oh yeah, he was. Isn't a little Love and Spoonfully? 
Yeah, yeah, I can hear that. Yeah, yeah. I think I always say that, though. I feel like on this exact podcast, I have made the claim before that something sounds like that. I think everything sounds like the Love and Spoonful. Well, it's sort of like whenever we hear a singer-songwriter that sounds like we're from, they're from the 70s, <laughs> oh, right. we just say it's Jim Croce. <laughs> That's right. Everything is just, everything's by Jim Croce. Um, all right, well, let's pick up here where you left off in the intro, Vives, talking about Wes Anderson. As you said, we've already talked about two Wes Anderson films uh, when it came up during a different show, but he's... And by he's, films, of course, you mean tiny films I called mean, commercials. I mean, tiny films called commercials, sorry. Um, but but I think, you know what? I got to give credit. Oh, somebody posted this on our Facebook page, and I don't they have They did, and I, I apologize. I, there was some discussion about it on the Facebook page. Yes. And at some point, I do. Holly? Okay. Holly it is. I'm just, I'm guessing there. It was well, like a Holly or the Love and Spoonful. Or a, or a Hormothera. Something with an H. No. Henrietta? <laughs> Henrietta. Uh, you thought of Hormuth before Henrietta? What is that? Hormuth. I don't know. I, it sounded like, just a, make it up? sounded like a funny name. <laughs> like, uh, it's, my, it's my aunt. She always has a tissue tucked in her sleeve. Aunt Hormuth. Um, if, you're na- if you're an ad member of the ad council and your name is Hormuth, um, hit me up. I'll send you a free bottle of uh, Crystal Pepsi. <laughs> um, okay. So this is, I think, probably what gave me the seed of the idea was a, a woman either named Hormuth, Holly, or The Loving Spoonful <laughs> uh, posted this new H&M ad on the Facebook page. And it is uh, it is directed by Wes Anderson. I watched it a couple of weeks ago when it first appeared there. I don't remember too well, but it is... So Wes Anderson. I oh, mean, yeah. Even, lots of panning across a, a space. Lots of Adrian Brody. Yes. <laughs> um, lots of cute details. Lots of cute details. And it's on a train. I know, remember that it takes place on a train, and it feels like kind of um, – it's exactly in the style of the hotel movie that he did recently. Yeah. Well, there's actually a train, big train scene on that. Exactly. But it's, it's um, the – Because you have the Darjeeling Limited, which takes Grand, place on a Grand train. Grand Budapest Hotel. Okay. Grand Budapest Hotel uh, also has a big train scene, and this looks like – it came from that. Now, I will hit play on this H&M Come Together is the name of this commercial. We see a train, very stylized. Is that Adrian Brody we see working on the train. We see him through the window of the train. Everything's set up very symmetrically. He's going through some paperwork. It's Christmas time. You see that it's December 25th. Does anyone love right angles more than Wes Anderson? Me. Getting on the intercom. Good morning, passengers of Coach 14. This is Conductor Ralph speaking. I regret to inform you that due to challenging weather conditions overnight, in combination with mechanical difficulties on our scheduled route, we've been redirected to alternate tracks and will therefore be delayed an additional uh, 11 and a half hours. Our estimated arrival time is now 3.17 a.m. We realize this will interfere with many of your holiday plans and celebrations. Okay, I'm going to pause this here for a second because we're starting to see into a bunch of different windows of the train. And I'm going to pause this and say I only saw like a 30 or 60 second version of this. Oh, yeah. No, this is like a four-minute commercial. This is like a four-minute thing. So I have in the first one I saw, I was like, oh, that's cute. It's stylistic. It didn't really do a lot for me other than, oh, yeah, that's obviously Wes Anderson. So yeah, this so is going to take me on a narrative train. It is, if you will. If you will. Now, should I keep playing it or do you just want to explain it from here? Well, keep playing it. What you're seeing is you're pe- we're peering in the windows of all these different berths in the train, and these are all like sleeping cars. And we're seeing various people in their in their private berths, right? One guy is sitting there quietly. One woman is sitting by the window reading. 
Um, and you're just going to start seeing all of these characters, right? Like all these disparate people who are in the the sleeping uh, compartments of their train. And it gives you a real cozy feeling. That's the feeling. One thing I noticed right away, it is, you know, our camera is outside the train looking into these windows and the train is a cool blue and you see some snow flurries coming down. And it reminds me of the walk you and I took, was it yesterday or the day before through our little neighborhood? And it was a chilly night and it was already dark at like four o'clock. And, uh, you know, it's Christmas time. So everybody's got their Christmas lights on inside the house. And as you, as you're bundled up and you're walking outside, what's more cozy than seeing peaking, in, in the, you a know, little yeah, bright window. Right. And you were taking some photos and stuff, which I thought was a little bit creepy, you know. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Planning some listening devices. It gives you that really, really cozy feeling. And that's kind of what we're getting from And in typical commercial. Wes Anderson fashion, nobody's really reacting. Everybody's sort of underacting as he's mm-hmm. delivering this pretty terrible news. We realize this will interfere with many of your holiday plans and celebrations. It certainly cancels mine. Uh, we're very sorry for this terrible inconvenience. My assistant porter, Fritz, and I will be serving a small complimentary Christmas brunch, including chocolate-flavored hot beverage with whipped topping, in the cafeteria section at the rear of the coach, starting in 20 minutes. Just to repeat again, Christmas brunch, 20 minutes, cafeteria section at the rear of the coach. Please do join us. Thank you. I'm getting excited now. Yeah, now I really want to know. What yeah, this so far this is really good. Got to say, whatever they chopped this down to did nothing for me. Um, I guess this it's is a four minutes. Theme I think there's days. no way they put this four minute commercial on TV with any mm-hmm. regularity, so they must have made like a thirty second version. And maybe you know, I keep on coming back to this argument of like what that. Uh, commentator said that we read on the show don't mi- write long narratives then cut it down expect them to survive the 15 or 30 second format but you know one thing that might be lost there is an example like this where if you can get Wes Anderson that's a big deal yeah. if you can play something on TV that remind like yeah, there are 9 million views. Part of this campaign is probably, hey, there's a four-minute movie yes. by Wes Anderson that's by H&M, and just putting little clips of it on TV. Although, I don't remember seeing in the shorter version I saw any indication that we should go online and watch this, but it must be, that viral marketing must be part of the plan Yeah, I mean, here. this is the kind of thing that people, that, you know, Twitter, uh, H&M will post as a sponsored post on Twitter, people will share mm. it. Like, this is perfect sponsored post material. Okay, so because of the delays, the the people who work on the train are going to have a Christmas brunch. That's what's just been announced. Please do join us. Thank you. I think it's it's worth noting that one of the people we see in the windows is a little boy traveling alone. Mm -hmm. The sound you heard was Adrian Brody uh, rolling down his own window and sticking his head out to get some fresh air. Station Master Fred, it's Ralph. You got the scissors, construction paper, aluminum foil. Extension cord? What else? Good. How tall is it? Well, we'll just have to make it work. Here we come. Fritz! Right now. Fritz! So as they pass through a station, uh, Adrian Brody opens a train window and throws a hook out and brings in a, a burlap sack full of Christmas stuff like Santa hats, and he also gets a tree that someone sort of throws in through the window from a station. And they're on their way to the uh, brunch car. So now it says 19 minutes later. So now people are peeking out of their doors, coming down to the brunch car to get the complimentary brunch. And they're all different kinds of people, different 
ethnicities and styles, ages, but all all attractive members of their various groups. The groups they represent. Yes. Now the little boy is peeking his head out, and he's the last to arrive. I hear little John Lennon. And somehow in 19, 20 minutes, they've completely transformed this car with uh, uh, cut-up snowflakes and tinsel and lights and a tree. And uh, everybody's wearing a Santa hat. And they've, uh, they're giving the little boy the star to put on top of the tree. It's really kind of all for him. It's like end. an arts and crafts, you know, dream come true in there. And there's not a real power out. It just says come yeah. together and the little boy puts the star on top of the uh, Christmas tree. Yeah, you know, in terms of the ending, it really reminds me of that Apple uh, ad that we watched with Brad Garrett, uh, Frank, Frankie's yeah. Christmas, where there's not a super hard sell of a product. It's just like this is kind of our, this is our ethos or this is our, our message. It's like a holiday card from, from a retailer. Um, let's move on here into this uh, next Wes Anderson film. This is uh, still very Wes Anderson-y, uh, but different. This one is um, uh, two minutes long. This one's self-consciously – I mean, they all are a little bit, but this one is – Wes Anderson is actually in it. Yes. So we start – it looks very cinematic at first, and we see a couple of people in white suits and a white hat talking. Matter of fact, one of them is Jason Schwartzman, I think, right? Yep. And um, and he's in some Wes Anderson stuff, and it looks like we're we're really watching a movie, but then pretty quickly it's clear that um, it's kind of a, a bit of a meta thing. We're actually watching a movie being shot on the set, right? You'll never make it, Francois. Neither will you, unless my calculations are incorrect. The data processor, where'd you get that pen? This Sophia gave it to me. Just a ballpoint pen. Why is it blinking? I don't know. Boom. <laughs> so he clicks the pen. You hear a director say "boom" through a uh, through a megaphone, and then the camera pans, and you see an explosion in the background. So that's when it's clear that oh, we're not actually seeing this like a film, but um, this is being. Uh, filmed in front of us. Now, there's a break in the action on the set, and then the director starts talking directly to the camera, and it's none other than Mr. Anderson himself. Guys, not enough smoke, and the snow was too loud. We'll go again right away. I've blown up buildings, hunted sharks, crashed airplanes, and flown... Anyway, American Express commercial. Here we go. So what's going to happen now, and I don't want to play the whole thing because it's two minutes, is he walks through the set and people are asking things of him and he's asking things of, uh, of you know, the people who work for him. And it's all very kind of frenetic. Well, and a it's little vintage bit Wes Anderson and that's a single camera shot yeah. following him through a sort of a labyrinthine, labyrinthine uh, you know, series of interactions where things are happening. It's like a if you've ever seen an OK Go video. Yes, maybe not quite as elaborate as that. I mean, it's like if you've ever seen a Wes Anderson movie. Yeah, or no, I, I was joking Street, because right? they obviously stole that idea right. from directors. Yeah, um, and so I, I'll give you a little sense of it. People are kind of like, you'll hear him in a second say, where's my snack? But he's already eating a sandwich, so his assistant is kind of like, you're already eating it. It's just like, it's got this little bit of a goofy airheadedness to it, but also the precision of directing and, and paying attention to every single detail on a set. At one point, he, he asks, asks his design crew, 
crew to come up with a very specific gun, and then two seconds later, they're showing him uh, sketches it's, of it. And yeah, that it's, kind of a, it's a thirty-eight caliber pistol with a saber. <laughs> yeah. So let's take a listen to give you the, the sense of it. I, I also can't help but to point out when he's introduced, it says Wes Anderson director underneath him on like a subtitle, and it's exactly in the font and yellow it's the, color. It's the yellow. It's the yellow Wes Anderson font. Yeah, I love it. Can I get my snack? You're eating it. Making movies. How do you do it? What's it like? Let me just tell these guys one thing. It sounds fake. Why would I put on a hat if my best friend just got blown right I'm telling you. I'm telling you it sounds fake. First, think up a good story. I would like to ask you something. Is the daughter of the man who loaned us the sports car? Okay. Is that the case? And then at the very end, uh, at the end of the one single shot, as you were saying, Veeves, he gets in one of those director's chairs that is actually on a um, a crane on a crane with the camera on it. So he's sitting next to the camera, and then that thing goes up in the air. You get a good shot of the whole my set. My about telling stories. Is my birds? I think so. I need those. My card is American Express. And so this was a part of a campaign that had a bunch of other celebrities talking about, like, my business is blank, mm-hmm. my card is American Express. I can't remember the other ones. Does, is that Tina Fey's um, uh, card? Tina Fey, I think she did She did do uh, an American Express. That's not the one that's rolling now, though, where she's, like, on the plane? Cause no, she she is still there. She's still their okay. spokeswoman. It's just not that campaign where it's, okay, like, my, right. my blank, my American Express. Um but, you know, I think this is kind of interesting. So this is – they obviously went to some great expense to make this particular ad, but they made a bunch of them with other famous celebrities. So this is a huge campaign, mm-hmm. right, sinking a lot of money into it. Um, I enjoyed that as a little movie. Yeah, I did too. I thought it was pretty funny. Um, but is it effective as a marketing tool? I, I don't know. Any more or less than the H&M one? H&M is a little different to me because it is truly about um, sort of brand identity and kind of like um, just a feeling that you have when when it's almost more like it's almost less like advertising and more like marketing. And I know that um, for many people, that is a distinction without a difference, but uh, it is there is a difference and a brand reinforcement. And stuff yeah, like, like it, it, it creates a good feeling about the brand, but you're not advertising like sweater $19. Yeah, right, right. right. So I think there's some value to that for a brand, especially like H&M, where like I go downtown, I actually need a pair of pants. I'm going to either go into Banana Republic or H&M or Zara or whatever, right? And so there's a moment there where I don't really care which one I go into. They're all right there downtown. So it's just an emotional decision, kind of, you know? Mm-hmm. So I get the desire to create an emotional connection with the mm-hmm. brand. Uh, I don't know that American Express, which that was more like... I mean, it is definitely like identity marketing, but like it's, I don't know that it's so much, I I just don't, I just didn't take away from it what I think they want a person like me to take away. I'm also not the kind of, I'm not really rich enough to be their ideal consumer. So maybe if I'm a rich guy or lady, that speaks to me in a different way. Maybe this is a lack of imagination on my part, but I do think somehow connecting the lifestyle to the act of using the card, of purchasing, would help. Like, I'm trying to think of a more lifestyle-y kind of thing that would work. And I know that that's what they try to do with the Tina Fey ads. But right, she's on a plane buying a, yeah. buying a salad. She's at the store with Thomas Middleditch buying dog food. And that doesn't work for me 
that and that's still very advertising where it's kind of saying these are the you know you get certain benefits when you use this card miles etc and also the fact that they're comedic is a little bit different than this Wes Anderson one I guess that's that's comedic as well I was just sort of thinking like if I wanted to associate my credit card with something like maybe you have I just think of the highest roller I can think of like Jay-Z you know like Jay-Z has a style he is known as a very rich man but he's also probably I, I don't know I kind of like like hearing him talk and stuff he's got a gentle way of talking and so I could see a campaign that is very much kind of like based on sort of lifestyle and a vibe that you would then associate with American Express and I guess that's yeah. not you know that'd be a very different probably no, like, vibe than what they're going for now I'll but I, you- I would be like start associating my my purchases with you yeah know, do you want to know what would be a meaningful uh a meaningful interaction with American Express for me so we have a friend who actually saw Beyonce and Jay-Z at a brunch place uh and saw them there with Blue Ivy and I don't know what they paid with, but if she had finished that story, which mm-hmm. we were listening right. to breathlessly with, right. and then they whipped out their American Express card, I would have been like, oh, damn. Right. You right. know, like that would have been something that would have been meaningful to me. So, yeah, I hear you with the Jay-Z example. Okay, let's move on to talk about this one that you found by Michelle Gondry. Um, and that's the you know the guy who did uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Mm-hmm. And he's done some other movies, um, none of which were I think were as... Uh, commercially successful as eternal sunshine uh he actually got his start in commercials i read um he's he's on this he's on all these lists of like greatest commercial directors he's extremely surrealist um does a lot of work with like practical effects we we should have our friend kat solon on to talk about it i'm sure she could tell us a lot about what the kind of work he does um some stop motion things. Didn't he pair up with Spike Jones on some things too? I get these. There's a few directors that I kind of get confused because some of them write, some of them produce, some of them direct, but they all work together and they have a bit of a surreal quality. And yeah, I always there's think like, Jones and him like, work There's together. like a Charlie Kaufman. Oh, yeah, Charlie Kaufman. Uh, Michelle Gondry, Spike Jones, like tr- Bermuda Triangle in my yeah, brain. So right. I'm sure they probably have all worked together in, on some level. Charlie Kaufman was the screenplay writer on Eternal Sunshine. Okay, gotcha. And, that, and that's the movie that it directed by Gondry and that's one that I associate the most with Gondry so anyway I'm sorry did I I might have cut you off um so this is a commercial for Levi's by Gondry yeah so he's actually done a lot of commercials and I only picked this one because this is a commercial that won a ton of awards and boy howdy is it memorable now I don't think there's any words in it any talking so if you if you don't mind narrating it as it goes as it goes along yeah it's only 45 seconds i'll just give a kind of a summary of it first can you help describe kind of the look that we're seeing it looks like very it looks like old-timey small-town america it looks like dust bowl america there it's like 20 20s era cars uh very stark black and white footage almost like found footage uh doesn't look like it was shot you know new um, a little handheldy, a little surreally too, though in a certain yeah, way. Yeah, there's almost like an eraser head quality yeah, to yeah, it. That's, Although that's we'll get I'm, to yeah. we'll get to David Lynch. Yeah. So anyway, so we see it as it's an interesting point of view. Uh, it's grainy. It's surreal. It's very black and white, high contrast, 1930s America. I, we're kind of seeing it from the perspective of this guy who is driving to the drugstore, gets out of the 
car, walks into the drugstore. We see everybody kind of looking at him. We are kind of sharing his eyes. And then he asks for something behind the counter that he wants to buy. And uh, the the guy who runs the, the store gives him a little pack of uh, old-timey condoms. And the, uh, the person, us, whatever, the perspective... Um, puts the, that pack of condoms into the little tiny like watch pocket that we all know on Levi's jeans, the little tiny mini pocket that's inside your other side pocket. And I think the woman then gives him kind of a dirty look, right? Because yeah. it's old time. And it's like a, just... it's like almost like a, a Dust Bowl era general store that he's in. Right. And so this old timey lady is kind of like gives him this look like what what a creep. Um, as the commercial goes. But, but the pharmacist kind of gives him a like, yeah. Yeah. Good, good luck out there, buddy. Uh, he gets back in his car. He drives to someone's house. He knocks on the door and uh, it's like his girlfriend's dad or his date's dad opens the door. And I think, and you can tell me if I'm wrong about this, Vives. I think the dad kind of sees the condoms sticking out. The dad is the out. pharmacist. Oh, That's the dad the is the pharmacist. The pharmacist is the I've dad. I've actually heard this before. Oh, that's the pharmacist. Okay, because I've actually heard this as a joke before, now that you say that. Or I've read it somewhere or something. Um, uh, so, oh, it's the pharmacist who opens the door. He recognizes the boy, and now he doesn't want his daughter to go out with the boy. Right. But... You know, but she runs down the stairs, kisses her dad goodbye, and heads out the door on her date. Heads out the door, and then um, we and see. It's very him much like a far. It's told like a joke that start that's like about the farmer's daughter, right? And then um, I think the 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 catchphrase at the end is something like uh, the watch pocket was created in 1873 and abused ever since. Levi's <laughs> 501. So this was a 1995 ad. I'm bummed that I didn't recognize. Yeah, of course. That's his. That's the that's the whole point of the commercial, and I missed it. Well, and now that you say that, like I know that joke. I just read that joke somewhere recently. Yeah. I've been reading jokes on Reddit. I've been I trying to so. dance around that, but th- let me just be honest with you. About, <laughs> sometimes I wake up in the morning and I can't read the news anymore, so I go on Reddit and I read jokes on Reddit, and that's what I do in the morning. And I read a joke about a pharmacist selling a kid a pack of... Like, I just read this in text form about two weeks ago. Wow. Well... This is not my best ATM ever. <laughs> Let's move on. It's really not. I'm really disappointed in myself Good job, right Michelle Gondry. Good job. I hope you are, have even more success in your career. Uh, let's move oh, on. But just one interesting fact about that. Uh, even mm-hmm. though that commercial never aired in the U.S. because of the dirtiness of the I condoms. I wondered about that. Yeah. It won a ton of awards. It was it, at, at some point, it held the record for most awards for a TV commercial. I saw that like in a Guinness record or something like yeah. that. Yeah. So it was just critically acclaimed. I don't know where it aired. Um, let's stay in the, what do you say, Michelle Gondry, Spike Jones, um, Charlie Kaufman. Uh, Bermuda Triangle. Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> move on to talk about Spike Jones here. This is a commercial um, that Spike Jones made for Gap, the store Gap. Uh, again, Genevieve, it's going to take all of our power to, do, to describe it. Uh, do you want to do this one? Sure. Um, I actually love this one. I think it's so hilarious because it takes forever to figure out the joke. So it's just a regular Gap store. People are walking around and then little by little, somebody knocks over a sweater, seemingly by accident. Now somebody's not intentionally pushing over a mannequin. As she does that, a store employee sees her and kind of like starts to step to her and he's running towards her, but he walks right past her and pushes over another mannequin. And everybody's giving each other these And now we're, everyone's like, what? And then 
the real smashy begins and everyone in the store just goes crazy and they start destroying things. Like they're pushing displays through the store and like crashing into furniture. This is like my fantasy. I've and, always wanted to destroy a store. And I love this song. This is a classical piece called the like the something of the Mountain King. It's one of my favorites. Um, so now it's just like total chaos. People are throwing themselves into the walls. The, the, the room is being destroyed. And now a woman outside in her car sees what's happening inside and it inspires her to just drive right into the front door of the gap with her car. She smashes open the front window. See a minivan. So now it's total just destroyed. There's a guy on a motorcycle going up the escalator. Just complete chaos. There's a guy with a chainsaw. And now we're outside, and it just says, pardon our dust. The all-new gap is coming. So it's just a pardon our dust commercial. Yes. <laughs> uh, which I think is great, because it, you really, it really sucks you in, and I think it's, it's very Spike Jones in a way that's hard to describe, um, but it's got a sort of... It, it has a real kind of like documentary quality yeah. to it. And it's really eerie at the beginning, because you just like see people just kind of like, kind of surreptitiously push a shirt onto the floor and mm-hmm. then look around like what is the reaction yeah, almost a, like a kid testing it's boundaries it's a nice cadence in the way that yeah. it ramps up yeah and, and then it's scary because you don't know where it's going and that's ultimately the thing about these commercials that are done by famous directors is like they are great to watch like almost without exception because you have these really good storytellers are they great marketing tools uh, I think it really varies. I don't think that they're necessarily great marketers, but they're all great filmmakers. That one I can tell you specifically probably did not bring in a lot of business because I don't think that one ever aired. I saw a note that said that that was just like a test commercial that yeah, Gap you fa- bought. Yeah, you found that out. I didn't realize that that had never aired. I thought that would have been so funny if it had. Yeah. Um, now, there's a chance, I guess, that it might have aired outside of the United States, but I didn't see any, any indication of that. I don't know. Spike Jones has another one on your list, Veeves, that I absolutely love. Uh, it is called Lamp. Yeah. And it is uh, for Ikea. Uh, again, it's going to take a lot of narration on this one. Um, we see a woman unplug her old lamp, like a kind of a desk lamp sort of thing um, in her living room, and uh, takes it outside, throws it on the street corner with a bag of garbage that she's also needing to And we're to take seeing out. a lot of what we're, what's happening sort of from the lamp's perspective, if you will. It, you almost, even though I think this might predate it, it almost gives you that feeling of the... Um, of the lamp that we see at the beginning of those cartoons, the DreamWorks cartoons. I think it's not it might DreamWorks. be Pixar. It's Pixar. It's definitely it's Pixar. It's sort of like that. It's like this red gooseneck lamp, and it looks like the Pixar lamp. And the way that this is shot, it is it is really telling you that the lamp is like sad to be out on the curb, and it's mm-hmm. relying on all these tropes that we have about objects that are abandoned, right? Yeah, and what I, I love about it is, you know, we see the the abandoned lamp out there. The rainstorm comes. It gets really cold. It's still just sitting out there. Then as night falls, we see the supposedly the lamp is looking up into the apartment window and the woman is sitting next to her new fancy lamp and she's even like then she says kind of good night to her lamp she turns off the new lamp and kind of touches it one last time and walks off to the bedroom and we're getting more and more the feeling that this rejected lamp is just the saddest saddest lamp in the world And then a guy walks into the frame. 
Many of you feel bad for this lamp. That is because you're crazy. It has no feelings. And the new one is much better. <laughs> and then he just walks out and is part of the IKEA unboring campaign. Uh, if you couldn't tell what that guy said because the resolution wasn't so, so great, he says, Many of you feel bad for this lamp. What does he say exactly? Many of you feel bad for this lamp. That is crazy. No, a lamp has no feelings. Right. And besides, the new lamp is better. I like your imitation. That's good. I love this ad. This is my favorite ad of the whole mix so far. I feel it, like it pays off. I'm looking back. H&M, American Express, the Levi's. Well, the Levi's one, I guess I was too dumb. Um, but but anyway, now they, that you know. <laughs> now that I know. It's, now it's, that you it's know, a, it's just a Reddit joke. <laughs> it's a good ad. But this Ikea lamp is the first one of the show where I'm like... That is brilliant. I think it's brilliant. I love it when people play with tropes. Uh, it's like, you know, one of our favorite shows is Stella. And Stella was all about blowing up and, mm-hmm. and, exp- and just totally making fun of how tropes are just used and reused. And we just take them for granted. Mm-hmm. And this does that for me in a way that I really love. And I also think that it's actually more effective as a marketing campaign like oh I actually, absolutely I actually think it's an effective advertisement for the product yes and um this is the only commercial in doing the show for a year now this is the only commercial i've come across that isn't a super famous super bowl commercial that has its own wikipedia page really it's just called the lamp and it has tons of information about this. I mean, it's a big Wikipedia page. Here's a dazzling deet. So the creative agency who came up with this, Crispin, Porter, and Bukuski, yep. uh, continued to produce material for the Unboring campaign until 2005. However, after Lamp and another one called Mukau, the focus of the campaign shifted. The furniture guilt concept was abandoned. But two more follow-up advertisements were produced both directed by Wes Anderson. Oh, I haven't even Did seen Did you know those. this? No, I didn't One know called those. Kitchen and one called Living Room. So now here we are. We're back at Wes Anderson. This I'm sorry. This dude likes to make commercials. I wanted to surprise you He has you such with that. object lust, it doesn't surprise he me. He really does. Um, and so I want to show you. These are, um, again, for Ikea, of course. These are what happens next will shock you. Really? Unless you've seen these no, before. No, I don't think so. Okay, this is the one. And I thought I did a lot of, I mean, I did a lot of research and I thought I looked at a bunch of Wes Anderson. It's just so weird how I came, like, you know, it was actually the uh, the Spike Jones entry that led back to Wes Anderson. So here's one called Kitchen. And you see a couple arguing in their kitchen while they're putting dishes away, probably like after dinner or something like that. Why do you always bring her up? It was nothing. Nothing happened. Well, that's what you say. Well, how do I know? Well, I'm stuck in here like some prisoner. You're out prowling the street. What are you talking that's about? That's exactly what you're doing, isn't it? You are you so want insecure. Me to stay here so you can have the stability of all this. So? Okay. All of a sudden, there's a third person in the scene here, and the camera pulls back, and we realize... What do you guys think? <laughs> it feels good. We've been in an Ikea showroom the whole time, and... I got to say, that seems super dark to me. If you've ever been to Ikea, most of you probably have at some point or another, they have all of these, you know, living room sets, kitchen sets, mm-hmm. so that you can imagine what all of their cool products would look like. In You, have, you basically end up having kind of house fantasy, sort right. of, right? Like, oh, we could create this room with everything that's here. So these people have gotten so into testing out this little fake kitchen on the Ikea floor that they either slip into an argument or they want to kind of... Yeah, because they immediately go back to being a loving couple after mm-hmm. the guy says, how does it feel? Do you think it's also a riff on the idea or the 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 
perception that people have that the couples end up fighting in Ikea a lot. Oh, that's interesting. Because there was a whole 30 Rock about that. I don't know. And I, when you and I go to uh, Ikea, sometimes you'll post on Facebook, hey, our relationship survived. I've seen other people do it. Yeah. So that is it. I was surprised that not only were they arguing, like that was a serious argument. Like, that Yeah, it was pretty in, dark. Right? Okay. So I want, this is another West. There Anderson was no one. jokiness about the argument at all. There were no punchlines. And I want to say, while I didn't realize that it was the pharmacist in that 501 ad the first time I watched it. I, I knew what was going to happen in that ad almost immediately. Mm-hmm. I don't know how. The second I saw the couple fighting in the kitchen, I'm like, that, I'll bet you a million bucks that's going to end up being an Ikea well, showroom. you can really t- – it looks like they are in either the world's like worst movie set because it has a real sterile, mm-hmm. unfinished look to it. Or like they're in a fake showroom in a furniture store. So now keep in mind, this is the same campaign. That one was called Kitchen. Now here's one called Living Room. And uh, so you kind of know where this one's going to go. But again, dark. That's surprising the, for Wes Anderson. There, I know. You don't think it was... Uh, there is a teenage girl in the living room talking to her mom. At one point, the dad walks into. Tell me what's wrong. I'm pregnant. Oh, my God. I knew it. Oh. I knew it. It's that creepy boyfriend uh, of yours, isn't it? I told you this would happen. Dad, stop. So it's my fault now? Well, where do you think she gets this stuff from? Not from me. You're the one who smoked pot in college. Don't. So, what do you think? Uh, I like it. Feels good. We'll take it. So, what same concept. The, but did that, I, what I can't imagine What is the appeal that, of that? That, I don't to me, know. is very off-putting. And I... I it's funny to see that all ha- playing out in a bunch of p- Ikea furniture that's instantly recognizable, right? Mm-hmm. It's like some very – it's the kind of pieces that everyone has, like the big cabinet with the, squ- the big square holes in the in the console. Yep. Like we have one of those. I forget what it's called. So – but th- both of those to me, they're so un-Wes Anderson-y. They're, they're not filmed at all the – like with the – with a still camera with things moving in front of it. You know, none of the things that you, none of the sort of like twee details that you associate Mm -hmm. with Wes Anderson. And it's kind of surprising to me because I would think that with Ikea furniture and objects, and I mean all these sort of like object stuff that you can have in Ikea, like a Wes Anderson. It would be be. so easy to, for him to turn that into a Wes Anderson set, right? Especially that kind of style. Yeah. And it's like so cute and colorful and, and interesting shapes. But instead, this is the darkest thing I've ever seen Wes Anderson do. Yeah. It it really doesn't read like him at all. That's interesting. Isn't that crazy? Now, I don't know if you landed on that, but when I saw those commercials, then I found this mental floss article. We don't have to play them all, but I think it's like 13 more commercials by, uh, Wes Anderson, the SoftBank one with Brad Pitt that we talked about, a Hyundai one that looks very much like that would be like um, Steve Zissou. Um, but there was one buried. There's tons of them, Ikea, etc. Oh, these AT&T commercials. Do you remember um, these things at all? Again, kind of taking place on a movie set. Later. I'm a kind of star, I guess. I live in Hollywood, but I work on Broadway in New York. Thank you, thank you. In Tombstone, Arizona. A part of South America you might not have heard of. Hi. Hi, Klaus. And London, England. Hi, I'm in the middle of something. These are. This is super Wes Anderson yeah. again. As the um, as the actor is talking directly to us, his uh, background, the sets keep changing behind him. So I need a network that works where I live. A place called Holly York, Arizona, South America. I do remember Monty. these. Me too. As soon as I saw this commercial, I was like, I remember that. Those yeah. were airing not all that long ago. I remember the it was, the gag was always the like. 
or the punchline was always uh, like the amalgamation of all the places that the person lives. And so we talked about the, most of the other ones on that list, or it's not really worth mentioning, but those were the first ones that I think I've seen so far that I'm like, I remember this being yeah. on TV. This didn't happen in some weird corner of advertising awards and the European market. Yes. You know I mean? Yeah, something I learned as I was researching this was that there's all these rules, and we'll talk about it a little bit more when we get to um, Ridley Scott, but there's all these rules about when and where a commercial has to technically air for it to be considered for certain awards. So people will, advertisers and companies will do weird things like they'll buy for an ad that they want to be considered for like, let's say you want to be considered for the 2015 um, Clio's, mm-hmm. but you need, you want to air it in the 2016 Super Bowl, which would be, of course, like a month later. They will, they'll do, like, they've done things like buy a, like, 1 a.m. spot in, like, a tiny U.S. market where it would never be seen by anybody, but so technically it aired in the U.S. in 2015, so it is... Uh, eligible for consideration by the Clios or whatever. You know, I've also heard about them doing things like an ad agency might make a really kind of crazy concept commercial or something like that, that they're mostly making for the awards, but they don't, there's just no market for it, but they're proud of it. So they'll do something similar like that. I actually read last year about some commercials getting kicked out of the Clio. Because they didn't, because nobody was really paying them to make it. They sort of made them. Yes. Oh, that's what it was. Right. You can't just make a commercial for a product yourself and then try to sneak it in. And And then be like, oh, Ford, uh, here's a free ad for you. Or pay us a dollar for this ad. It's very interesting. Uh, Let's talk about this one just very, very uh, quickly. This is the um, Sergio Leone. Now he's the guy who directed the spaghetti westerns that I love, The Man With No Name, the Clint sure. Eastwood movies, uh, Good Men, The Ugly being the most famous. And of course, he um, always collaborated with, uh, I, I always butcher his name, but Ennio Morricone, I think. That's the guy yeah, who Yeah, I'm the assuming famous. it's Morricone. I don't, maybe, I mean, write, us, write in if it's actually supposed to be Morricone. He's the one who uh, famously did the Good Men, The Ugly music and, yes. and all the music you for those things. You believe me when I tell you that even if you don't know that name, you have heard his music. Do you want to do it now? I can't do it. Doodle doodle loo. Yes. Doodle doodle loo. Whip whoop. <laughs> you know, pretty good, the right? famous whip whop. That's song. pretty good, right? Yeah. Um, hold on. <laughs> Me and my sister had this record when we were growing up. And uh, we had, we were not allowed to watch the movies, of course. They're very, very violent. But uh, we listened to the record all the time in the basement. <laughs> what and was the appeal for you if you hadn't seen the movie? Because I'm going to play it for you here again as soon as we get through this pre-roll commercial, which is your least favorite uh, commercial I in the world. By the way, it's the guy spanking his food, and you can't even skip it um, because if you, this music would totally appeal to a kid, it starts off very seriously, of course. But already, like the wah wah, it's very like. You can see Goonie kids getting into this. Whip wop. You you did the whip. Yeah, okay, I did it that time. You know it's coming though, right? It's the best part of the show so far. (laughs) We gotta at least get to one whip wop. I know. Getting close. <laughs> the rest of the show is just 
just going to be yep. playing this song. <laughs> I don't care. It's a good song. Please be here. Whip walk. Okay, listen. I'm pretty sure there's some whip wops coming up. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. I'm not. I mean, the song only Seeky. has. Lost. One whip wop. <laughs> man, man. If you find whip-wop. our whip wops, please send them to after these messages show at Gmail. Wait, hold on. <laughs> Now, there is a chance we have the whole record. <laughs> it might be from one of the other movies. There is a chance that it's from a different song, but I. This is killing me. This is breaking my heart here. We're so close to the end now. I can't. Maybe it'll be like that Doors song where it's the very <laughs> yeah. last thing. What was it? Uh, cheer. No, it wasn't Cheer. No, it was Tide. The, uh, stronger Than Dirt was what they stronger said. Stronger Than Dirt. Where is the whip wop? I'm serious. I... I mean, there's definitely some like kind of chanting in the background, but they do not say whip wop. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we all got to grow up someday. That's the worst. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. That was the worst. Let's so address fingers... your complaints to Andrew. <laughs> Attention, whip wop. Is there a? <laughs> Is there a chance that it wasn't a different song on that record? I distinctly remember. Maybe it was one of those things where me and my sister, we just like sang it so much that it just kind of like morphed, morphed in my head to yeah. a much more pronounced whoop. Anyway, um, I'm glad we're moving quickly through this one like I, like I promised. Yeah. All right. So this is by those two dudes again. Ennio Morricone does the music, and um, the the director, of course, is Sergio Leone. And this is for Renault. This is a bad commercial. It's a terrible commercial, but it's so Leone, right? Like it's right. it's um, so it's like the uh, the Colosseum in Rome. Um, Huge which of course, aerial he's a, shot because he's of course Italian. Uh, spaghetti, hence the spaghetti western. It's in the middle of the the Colosseum. I wonder if they got the real Colosseum. Do you think? I know. How did they, is that? Because this was be made a, a long time yeah, ago. Maybe. But in the middle of the Colosseum, there's this red Renault, uh, which was French car. Uh, it's all chained up like it's a bull or something. It's a weird like intersection of like the of the Roman Colosseum, but also like bull fights. But the car has no driver, but it's like jerking at its chains, and you chains, and you see that like the stick shift is like trying really hard to go. Finally, it breaks free of all of its chains, and it just drives out by itself out of the Colosseum. I guess it's just like a, a very literal breaking the chains thing. Here. If anybody knows what that person said, I'd love to know. But what do you think is breaking the chains of like, without hearing the tagline at the end, I mean, I assume it's kind of like breaking the chains of boring, mediocre cars. and Sure. Let's go with that. Yeah. Anyway, I don't like that commercial so much. Um, yeah, but just that was the last thing he. That was his last movie because he. Oh right. He released Once Upon a Time in America, uh, which was 
not one of the trilogy, but like I think it was also a Western. Um, and then he made this little commercial shortly thereafter. And uh, that was the last thing he made. He died, I think, later that year. I didn't realize that once upon a time. Or maybe, time in maybe America, a, once or, it, one or two was, years later. No, I don't think it was so much a Western. Oh, no, I stand corrected. Um, like, is yeah, it like mobsters? More of a mobster movie. As a matter of fact, uh, this sounds like a weird, humble brag. I've. Uh, not this part. I have not seen this movie. That's not a humble brag. But remember, we were hanging out at your your uncle is friends with that famous writer who did uh, oh, Shutter yeah. Island. Uh, yeah, Dennis Lehane. Dennis Lehane. And like you and I were very young, like probably like 23 or 4, something like that. And somehow we ended up at a party at Dennis Lehane's like beach house on yeah. Cape Cod. It was or weird. Like that. It was weird. It's a very isolated memory. I don't think he remembers us anymore. But we did uh, – I also didn't know who the hell he was. And it was before any of his movies were become his books his, were probably- So his book for um, – sh- uh, not Shutter Island, but the other one, the one that uh, – you know – that's my daughter in there. Right here, let me look it up. Um, um, that was that was like the first of his books that had been optioned for a movie. And so I remember him telling us about how like uh, Clint Eastwood wanted to buy his book. This was before Clint Eastwood was like so reprehensible. It was a long time ago. It was he, Mystic River. Mystic That's what it River. was. So this would have been you and I were there. It looks like Mystic River. And so was Mystic River had been made yet into a movie, right. I think, but it had just been bought by. Clint Eastwood to yes. make into a movie, and so Dennis was riding high on his Clint Eastwood money, and uh, and was like telling us why he you know decided to sell his book to Clint Eastwood. And he loves Once Upon a Time in America, and I somehow I remember him whenever I hear Once Upon a Time in America, and I was telling him how A Fistful of Dollars. Actually, I think it's the second one for a few dollars more is like probably my favorite Western. He's like, if you love that movie and the way that movie is made, I can't believe you haven't seen Once Upon a Time in America. Clearly, 13, 14 years later, I still have not taken him up on watching that movie, but it's a fond memory of mine. And there you go. And there you go. Once once we met a famous writer. That's right. How jealous are you guys? Probably thinks about us all the time. (laughs) Um, David Lynch did a whole bunch of commercials for PlayStation 2. I don't know. You put one in in our uh, show sheet. I don't know if you have to watch the other ones as well. No, I only watched the one that I put in. Yeah, it was called The Third Place Campaign, and I'm going to read to you directly from a magazine called The Absolute. It says, The campaign was designed to appeal to the imagination of early technology adopters, but in the end, all it did was confuse the hell out of them in typical Lynchian fashion. In the campaign, The Third Place is explained as an additional sensory experience that goes beyond what one typically experiences. So, the one that you picked out to be anyone hire david lynch to sell your product well playstation does kind of you know it's appealing to um i guess a sort of at the time in particular it was like a more edgy community yeah now it just seems like i don't know everyone and i'm gonna hit play on this but let's not even try to describe the whole thing let's just say have you seen Eraserhead? it's like Eraserhead, a little less grainy but it's like you know kind of a tall white angular man in a uh in a suit it's all shot in black and white he's walking through some hall of surrealness um with various shadows and mirrors and people and and those kinds of sounds. Um, it has everything of like a Lynch dream. Yeah. Smoke except, machines, check. Right. Endless hallway, check. Uh, head exploding off of a body, check. Now he's looking at a like a 
a guy in a full body cast who's melting. There's a duck that's talking to him. Oh yeah, let's let's listen to this duck part because this is where the commercial kind of pays off. I would say the only thing it doesn't have is a little person. Like I feel like David Lynch. And I would think that if David Lynch were to make a movie today, he probably wouldn't rely on that trope. Gosh, like I hope it is. not. Uh, but anyway, here at the very end of the commercial, a a duck talks directly to I guess our hero and maybe us as viewers. Welcome to the third place. So that was part of the third place campaign. I saw another one that is a little bit more straightforward narrative. Let me see if I put a link in here. Uh, I guess I can just kind of describe it to you very quickly, Veeves. It's like a, it's called Bambi, I think, and you see a little deer trying to um, cross the road. And as the deer gets closer and closer to the road, and you sort of get a sense of impending danger, a car is coming down the road quickly. It's pretty clear that this car is going to hit Bambi and kill it, but right at the very, very last minute. The car, the car hits the fawn, but the fawn smashes up the car. And then the fawn is totally okay and just walks away. And it says, different place, different rules. So that's what they were kind of going for, this idea of uh, PlayStation 2 creating kind of a, a third place. So a whole bunch of those by David Lynch. David Lynch has done a million commercials, and what I like so much about them, Veeves, is some of them are really surreal like that one, but some are just kind of normal. There was a, uh, uh, some sort of cold medication, an Alka-Seltzer one, that was pretty just straightforward. Now, did forward. he do that? Because the one that I wanted to show you was the Clear Blue Pregnancy Test yeah, commercial. Yeah, I definitely want to talk about this one, which has a, just a dash of surreality to it, I well, think. Well, it was made before he was David Lynch. It was before he w- it was when he was just guy trying to make a living behind a camera. Did he have a different name? No, no. I mean, it's oh, David okay. Lynch, but you know what I mean? Yeah. It was before he was like capital D, capital L, mm-hmm. you know, like before he had a... a uh, before he was an auteur. So this is a very, very straightforward pregnancy test commercial. But You'll it's hear by the David Lynch, which I find yeah. so hilarious. But particularly because so much of his work is like upsettingly about uh, birth, birth and yeah. reproduction. Yeah, the, the, and those little creatures. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Um, this one, the, the only, I would say the little tiny drop of surreality, that, if I'm pronouncing that right, that you see in this is at one point the woman looks down at her watch, right, as the voiceover is saying, you can't think of anything else. And she, of course, just has pregnancy on her mind. And she looks down at her watch and, and all the numbers, one, two, three, four, five, all turn into just like, yes, no, yes, yes, no, oh, no, yeah, no. Oh, yeah, that's yes, a yes, nice yes. touch. And, uh, and uh, let me play this. I had something else I want to mention. When you're waiting to find out if you're pregnant or not, Nothing else in the world matters until you know. Introducing Clear Blue Easy One Minute Pregnancy Test because only Clear Blue Easy gives you a clear yes or no. You know, it's so. That's why it's a 90s feel. It's so straightforward, but knowing that it's David Lynch, somehow the music and the black and white footage takes on a different meaning for me yeah, but, but you can still see a little bit of a sense of style yeah, but how, a, much of, how much of that is face. how much I of that is right me and how much of that is him i don't know i feel like there's something a little bit slow around the edges of it it's a little dreamy it's definitely a little dreamy you can't deny that one thing that he mentioned uh in an interview i was reading was 
it's not like he necessarily needs to do it for the money, but he just likes to um, stay on top of the latest technologies. Yeah. Did you see? Did I read that in your notes? No. Maybe. But he's kind of like, yeah, why not? I like doing it. And it's a good way to like kind of test out new technologies That's and new techniques point. before you know trying to do it in a film or something like that. Um, I clicked on this again. Mental floss. Um, he has done so many. Did you see these Georgia coffee commercials? We make coffee in Georgia. <laughs> Georgia coffee must be a brand of Japanese coffee that is served in cans. I think we talked about this when we did our show Big in Japan. I have so many questions about that sentence. <laughs> okay, we talked about these type of coffee. Yeah, no, I've seen. Our, I know yeah. what you mean, and they, they we sell them here too. And these are the Twin Peaks. These t- oh, these that, are, is that literally Kyle MacLachlan? That's Kyle MacLachlan, and it's all the rest of the twin, not all, but a big chunk of the Twin Peaks cast. And they are these are Japanese commercials. They're in English, but he's hanging out with one Japanese guy. Now I don't know if this Japanese guy is famous or not, or if he's only you know a character in these commercials. But he's the only non Twin Peaks person in these commercials, and there's a bunch of them. She sent me this postcard from Great Northern. When they searched her room, all they found was this picture and this dear head. Let's think about this over a coffee. No, Lucy? Incredible. You two have got to try this. It's rich. Man, oh man, this Georgia is damn fine coffee. It's true. What about this? That was the log lady, yeah, by no, the way. Yeah, no, it's everybody dear except head. for the Japanese guy. Notice the symbol, Ken. I think you and I should take a drive. Big Ed's gas farm. It's really Georgia. weird. So remember those Tommy Lee Jones Commercials we talked about for a very similar product, yes. not co- not the Georgia coffee, but almost identical product. Cans of yeah, coffee, cans yeah. of coffee, and it's all playing off of like Men in Black. This must yep. be like a Japanese thing to take a successful, you know, whether franchise, it's a movie or yeah. franchise or whatever, and just sort of transpose it into a like an advertising scenario. And I know there's a little bit of that in American television, but not to this extent. Yeah. Uh, and to take American shows. Right. Like I, I didn't know that Twin Peaks was necessarily big in Japan. Here is chapter two. They of do this. love weird shit over there. I think there's only um I think there's only three of these. Uh no, it looks like there's there's four. I'm gonna play uh chapter two here. This one is called Cherry Pie. Samiskar. A very rare Von Singer Weibel. It's snooker balls. I don't get it. Come on, let's grab a bite in a can of Georgia. Agent Cooper? Shelly, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. It's called Georgia Coffee. Comes in a can. Tastes as good and rich as any cup of coffee I've ever had. It's true. Are you Ken? Yes. A beautiful woman left this here for you. Georgia ni makasero. She hands him a, uh, uh, a okay. paper crane. You know, a folded up paper crane, and so anyway, there's. I have not watched. This must them have all. been made pretty pretty shortly after Twin Peaks, because everybody looks or concurrent, yeah, or concurrently, because everybody looks exactly the same age. Yeah, I was pretty excited about those. I wanted to show you those, and then you know, David Lynch did uh, again a bunch of I think pretty just mundane things, and then of course, like, do we have any uh, perfume ads in this? Because all yes. of these all of these actors, or I'm sorry, all of these famous directors. Uh, do like some they sort all of perfume. yeah perfume ads? I actually took a bunch of them out because they're super visual and there's mm-hmm. just sort of no there's no narrative to it. It's just you know kind of dreamy and surreal with beautiful people in beautiful clothes. Uh, Sofia Coppola did one for um, uh, Miss Dior uh, or Dior perfume mm-hmm. 
that is like I forget it's some famous actress who's just like swanning about in a silk dress. Mm-hmm. There wasn't that much to it other right. than like it's very pretty to look at. I could see Sofia Coppola doing that. Yeah, so it was very Sofia Coppola. And then there's another one that I now can't remember. Oh, I think it was uh, Darren Aronofsky. Uh, oh, of course. He, he did yeah. some uh, like. I forget which which one it was, but it was like some cologne for men. And he did it immediately after um, Black, Black Swan. Swan. Yeah. And the guy who's in Black Swan, I don't know if you've seen that movie. I have not. There's a guy who's in it um, who's a French actor, and I'm uh, Vincent Castle, I want to say is his name. Uh, and he's like this sort of like, he's this kind of like dickish guy in the movie. He's the, he's the mean ballet director slash love interest. And uh, he basically plays him that same character in this uh, cologne ad uh la nuit de l'homme this uh, is the only one on your list that i haven't watched all the way through because i just it just bored me it's so super boring on. he's just a super dick who like rolls through town hitting on women and like i don't know get getting with them and they're like he's just getting with a lot of women yeah so probably don't, don't play that one yeah i mean i just told you what happened okay. and there's no and there's no audio i mean there's okay. no you know audio other than music um let's see oh david fincher was on your list yes he's done some interesting work actually so david fincher is actually a director i like a lot now he did do fight club which you used to love that I movie used to when love... i first met you like that was your jam i know and now i'm a little embarrassed about liking it um but you know he did like he's not like lo- kind of american what's my movie like that American uh, Pie. No. Um, which one were the boy films the bag? Oh, American Beauty. American Beauty. Like, I was like, oh, this blow me away. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, I wonder God, if Alan Ball's love... made any commercials. Oh, that's a good question. I didn't question. look that yeah. up. And now you watch that movie and you're just like, oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, so, anyway, uh, I, I do like David Fincher. He's done work since then that I've enjoyed. He did Gone Girl. Um but this is a really interesting one, and it got a ton of, uh, it got a lot of press, uh, and it kind of launched his career. Actually, he did this move, this anti-smoking PSA in 1984, um, and there's a little bit of audio that'll help you follow along. But I'll we'll describe what what's happening. So this is for the American Cancer Society, and it's just showing a close up on what appears to be a fetus. I mean, it's a rubber doll, but it looks like a fetus. That you give a cigarette. To your unborn child. That's in the womb. You do. Every time you smoke while you're pregnant. Pregnant mothers, please, don't smoke. And they show the, the a, a fetus in the womb with, like, the umbilical cord, and it's puffing on a cigarette. Yeah, and of course, it's so tiny that it's grabbing, it has to grab the cigarette. Yeah, it looks like a, you know, yeah, it's like, like the size a of a javelin in its right. little hand. I mean, to me now, I look at that and I think like, I mean, of course you shouldn't smoke while you're pregnant, but we also, that's just sort of like common knowledge now. To me, the whole, the production values of that are a little silly. Yeah. And the message is... Really? I think it's still very effective. I guess. I mean, it's not that it's, it's not that I find it ineffective. It's that I, it's like saying like, don't play Russian roulette Mm -hmm. or like, don't drink Drano. Mm -hmm. I mean, it seems so obvious to me now in 2016. And so I think the shock value of that image is, has somewhat lessened over the, you know, 30 Mm -hmm. plus years that that's, that we've been like getting this message. Right. Right. But as 1984, I think you said, Mm -hmm. and like, yeah, that is a, I could see in 1984 that really sticking with people, that image. I would like to apologize for what I'm about to do to you, Veeves, because I forgot there was one other David Lynch thing that your smoking PSA just reminded me of. Okay. David Lynch 
did a PSA, I think 1991 for New York City about the rat problem. Oh, boy. This is shot in black and white. It's a minute long. I'd like to do to you what I did uh, last week, which is I'm going to show this to you cold. Okay. And I would like you and to, I'm supposed to, narrate it? to describe what you're seeing and maybe even how you're feeling as you watch this. This was a real PSA called We Care About New York. So it's like a wide shot of the city from the river, and it's all in black and white, and there's a barge going by. Now we're closing in on the city a little bit. You can see uh, now people... Uh, just like a crowd shot, a white guy kind of turns around and drops a piece of litter on the ground. And then walks away. And now the rats are coming out of the subway. And a, a mom has like also dropped a piece of litter. That she's giving to her little daughter on an ice cream cone. Ew, there's like rat tails and claws as like they're like getting coming out of the out of the ground more litter is being thrown litter litter everywhere people are just throwing litter some some sort of like rockabillies were dancing and throwing litter ew rat close up of the face it's a rat king <laughs> clean up we care about new york and then there's a number is that not the most lynchian commercial we've seen so far like that first shot of the rat in, in the flashing light in the grainy black and white it looks exactly like eraser head it's very lynchian it absolutely is i'm a little i guess the takeaway is don't litter don't litter like you know it even does that lynchian juxtaposition of like this kind of ideal summer day mom yeah. and daughter sharing an ice cream cone thing but then the little piece of paper like flies away in the wind the mom lets it kind of I the feel litter like go off the american cancer society's message about not smoking while pregnant got a lot more traction than don't litter in new york cuz that place is still a rat like <laughs> rat kingdom but that commercial we just saw can you imagine just being like chilling at home <laughs> on like a tuesday it's about 11 a.m you're watching your stories what year was that uh 1991 okay you're watching general hospital and all of a sudden that just comes on yeah i mean it's a psa i know it probably came on late at night or whatever but that that one just blew my mind and i wanted to share that with you thank you for letting me go back did you want to play another fincher commercial yeah this one's kind of interesting and i think it's a shorty so it won't take us too long i'll we'll describe it um you see two two men like in black sort of um they look like they're gonna rob a bank or something they're kind of in black clothes it's finally here the first phone to beat the iPhone. And they're carrying like a metal case and they're going through all these secure doors. For half the price. Now double keys to unlock it and it opens up in like a high-tech way. A new iPhone. 3G. So the the message which I was kind of talking over was uh, we finally invented a phone that's going to beat the iPhone. Remember this was when the iPhone was like the the only smartphone and then um oh, it's just the next iPhone that beats it. But what I thought was sort of interesting about that was like the music and the film style. It it feels like an outtake from Ocean's Eleven. Like Mm. everything about it says Ocean's Eleven to me, which is a Soderbergh movie. Right, and this is Fincher. Yeah, and it's Fincher. So I just thought it was kind of interesting. Um, Uh, You got to, yeah... Now that you say that, I think I kind of get those guys confused. There's not a huge style difference, though, is there, between them? Well... I guess Fincher's weirder, huh? 
I don't know if he's weirder. I mean, you know, Soderbergh just, um, Soderbergh, I think, tends to be a little more stylized. I mean, not that Fight Club isn't a stylized movie, but you look at Soderbergh, he's got like traffic and. Didn't Ocean's he do Se- Sex Lives and Videotape? Was his early. Uh, sings, like, that sounds yeah, right. Yeah, that was kind of a weird one. That right? was a weird one. Well, you know, you get Spader involved in anything. <laughs> okay. Anyway, we have a lot more to get through. Should we? I don't think we have to necessarily play it unless you have a plan here that I don't know about. But um, I always forget that the probably the most famous commercial of our generation yeah or probably of any generation is the apple macintosh 1984 ad i don't yes. even think we have to really spend a lot of time describing that we no we don't even need to play about. it you've all seen it we'll post it to the facebook but it's um it's riff it's riffing on 1984 it's a it's the a book. the the book uh it's a room full of like you know shaven headed uh, drones just watching a big brother figure drone on at them. And then a, a woman comes in uh, to break up, to, to say no to the uh, dictatorship. And she, she spins around. She's wearing red shorts and a white T-shirt. And she spins around and throws a, like a hammer um, at the screen where the, where the big, big brother is talking yeah. and smashes it up. And then it says... Um, Coming in nineteen eighty, uh, the new Macintosh from Apple coming in nineteen eighty four. So nineteen eighty four won't be anything like the book nineteen eighty four. Right, exactly. And then they show that famous, that now famous uh, rainbow Apple symbol. Yeah. After seeing this just wash of grays and drabs, and the, everybody being in lockstep of the, I guess IBM world at that point. Yes, it was Microsoft, all IBM Big Brother world. in this. Although Ridley Scott has and Apple have never confirmed it. Clearly, Big Brother is IBM. Right, and then uh, now. Now, oh, you're going to start having little design choices and stuff. Here's this colored apple, which will represent a right. whole new way of thinking about personal computing. Now, I noticed that you found some interesting text here to go along with. I went the- deep on, this, <laughs> on this, uh, this commercial. It was so interesting to me. So there was this whole thing. Like, it was made um, kind of on spec by Ridley Scott and I guess whatever the, the ad agency was that had been brought in to do this. They made the the ad and they showed it to Jobs, Steve Jobs, and he loved it. Mm. But then he took it to basically the board and a bunch of other like business decision makers at the company. And he, the the way they described it was, after seeing it for the first time, there was total silence in the room, and, and everyone thought they were like just blown away with how good it was. Until one of the big Apple muckety mucks says, "So, what do we do about getting a new agency?" Whoa. Yeah, they hated it. They thought it was like too dystopic. Um, Jobs went to Wozniak and like asked for his kind of buy-in and I think his his support for it helped. And eventually they they did it they did release it. And I think they've it's it's apocryphally only been played once. Um, Super Bowl. Super Bowl. That's not true for a number of reasons, including that thing I was talking about earlier where they play they they paid to have it play at like in some weird market at a small in a small market somewhere at a weird time so that it could be eligible for certain awards. Uh, but it, it has not been played at very much. It has generated untold millions and maybe even billions of dollars in free press because it was aired in so many markets by news channels. Um, and it was an, one of the most successful ads of all time. So what is this? You, you have a note in, in here that says, oh, we now know what Big Brother character is saying during this commercial. I'll give you a little sample sound of it. You you hear this droning voice of Big Brother in the background. Yeah. Oh, interesting fact about the model that they found to throw the hammer. 
they were interv- they were t- they were auditioning all of these women to be the model, but most of them got dizzy when they had to spin around and throw a big hammer. Uh, and they happened to find a model in uh, in the casting call who was a discus thrower, and that's oh, why she got really? cast. She definitely has an, um, has a, uh, a a vibe to me that reminds me of Blade Runner, sort of. Yeah, she does because of the white the blonde, white blonde hair, yeah. I think, and the sort of like eighties eighties uh, fashion. I just thought that the 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 oh, you can kind of hear the yeah yeah. Sorry, do you want me to play? Yeah, that why don't you play the because okay, so I kind of butchered it. On January 24th, Apple Computer will introduce Macintosh. And you'll see why 1984 won't be like 1984. Anyway, I just thought it was interesting. Like, I've been thinking a lot about authoritarianism and dystopic futures. Why? And I would just, you know, no reason. Um, and so this is what the Big Brother character is saying. My friends, each of you is a single cell in the great body of the state. And today that great body has purged itself of parasites. We have triumphed over the unprincipled dissemination of facts. The, the thugs and wreckers have been cast out, and the poisonous weeds of disinformation have been consigned to the dustbin of history. Let each and every cell rejoice. For today we celebrate the first glorious anniversary of Information Purification Directive. We've created, for the first time in all history, a garden of pure ideology, where each worker may bloom secure from the pests of contradictory and confusing truths. Hmm. Our unification of thought is a more powerful weapon than any fleet or army on earth. We are one people with one will, one resolve, one cause. Our enemies shall talk themselves to death. We will bury them with their own confusion. We shall prevail. Now, what's interesting about this is... And I, that doesn't make me think of anything in particular. <laughs> Where did you get that? That was the original script because I noticed you wrote that in the notes, but really the commercial begins with him saying, for today we celebrate. The first half of that is not even in the commercial. It must have been, I think somebody Maybe grabbed the, it from an old script. The original, original script, script of it. Yeah, it starts yeah. with, today we celebrate the first glorious anniversary of the Information Purification Directive. Yeah, I really anticipated a post-fact world. Yeah, it's the IPD. Um, okay, Can we've we just, been recording for well over an hour now. Do you want to do just now. one more? Sure, yeah. We can do Bi- Bi- Spike Lee, Boz Lerman, or Michael Bay. Um, Boz Lerman, it looks like a Chanel number no. 5. You know what? I didn't watch this one. It's pretty... I just thought the interesting thing about this was that it cost $33 million to make. Still the Whoa. most expensive commercial. Um, you know, and I think I heard about this one when we were talking about another one that he did. Walk about. Yeah, this, this one's very much in the... It's almost like... He just had some leftover footage from Moulin Rouge. Right. It starred yes. Nicole Kidman. Okay, that sounds good. Uh, the Spike Lee one, that's one of the only ones on this list that I actually remember. Yes. It's him playing. I've never seen She's Gotta Have It, but he's playing the character that he played in his own movie. You said his name is Mars Blackman? Black- or Mars Blackman. 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 Um, and uh, I, let me just, just play this l- one. Let me just play the audio yeah. for it, but I definitely want to play that last one that you have on the list, too. Uh, but this will probably ring a bell for a lot of folks who are about my age. This came out in 1991. This is this you can buy. You cannot do this. Can, can, can. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's so 90s. It couldn't be any more 90s. It's got I Spike love Lee, it so much. Michael Jordan at his prime. Yeah. Yeah. It's Spike great. Lee at his prime, probably, yeah. too, right? Um, but I definitely, I can't uh, not end the segment without hearing you talk about 
this Victoria's Secret commercial by none other than your favorite director. Your direct, your favorite director and mine, Michael Bay. <laughs> Michael Bay. Let me tell you, I will gladly make fun of Michael Bay, but I have probably put a lot of money in that man's pocket, and I will watch Armageddon literally every time it comes oh, on. That, yeah, but have you ever gone to see a Michael Bay film in the sure, theater? Sure, I'm sure I have. Did he do... He did all the... I've never seen a Transformer movie in the theater. Oh, I saw one of those in the theater. It was bad. Yeah. I mean, they're all bad, but I... It was really disappointing, though. I was like, I like robots, and these robots are robots that turn into other cool things. It would be so hard to ruin that. And yet... And he did. But anyway, so you want to describe this Victoria's Secret? So this is a very subtle... It's almost... (laughs) You almost get like a kind of a French kind of... It's shot in black and white. Mm -hmm. Um, there's it opens a, up on there's a small a French bird. Score. <laughs> a small bird is held in. No, it's a it's hot models in gl- in garish colors with explosions and motorcycles. The, actually, though, let me fact check on that. It's got everything that a Michael Bay ad would have, except there's not actually ever an explosion. There are fire breathers at one point. Well, there's a big fire thing in the background. Is that there's not an explosion? There's a fire breathers at one point. There is a helicopter that flies low to the ground while a sexy lady walks at one so point. So the whole premise of this is a thousand, fa- one gift, either i.e. Underwear. Underwear. A thousand fantasies. And then it just says like... I mean, it doesn't seem like a thousand fantasies to me. It seems like variations on the theme. It seems like one very specific... There's no furries in here. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's... Sorry, furries. uh, uh, Sorry, ASMR fans. Very male, heterosexual fantasy. But I have not seen any explosions. There was some fire breathing. I swear, well, maybe it's not an explosion, but there's one scene where they're just, like, standing in front of a bunch of fire. Is it that one that just went by? Uh, I don't know. Here, let me go back, because I want to prove that I'm right on this. Right Andrew, I don't want to watch this pink. whole dumb thing You're watching again. it. I did. I saw some fire, but I swear there's more at the end. No, I think that he actually showed a lot of restraint with this. Uh, I didn't go back far enough. Boy, this ad is killing me. This ad is killing me. There it is, fire I, breathing. I saw that, but I'm talking about a different scene. Okay, it's not in there. You can fact check me after the show. Uh, that is the, the fire that's in there. I could have used a little bit more explosions, Michael Bay. Oh, well. Everybody's talking at me I don't hear words they're saying Only the echoes of my mind All right, Vives, what do we have from the Ad Council in the mailbag? Well, because I know we're running really long today, I'm going to just limit our feedback section to uh, feedback to the Sir, Yes, Sir episode that we did about military commercials. Sir, yes, sir. Uh, And we've got a lot of feedback from you guys about holiday ads. We've got another week or two in uh, in December before the holidays. So I'll hold on that and we'll do a we'll do a heavy holiday feedback uh, uh, section uh, in the next couple of weeks. So thanks for sending it in. Uh, We're just running really long today. Maybe we could even do a whole show that's kind of like holiday emails or something. Maybe we'll do that. So we'll do a whole a whole ad council on on holiday feedback because you guys really, uh, really stepped up. Um, This is from listener Mark, who says, I just listened to the Yes Sir episode. I'm fascinated by military recruitment ads because it seems to me they are selling a product that runs contrary to who we are as a culture. Uh, By that, I mean, it's no secret that the U.S. is an extremely individualistic culture, um, by some measures, the most individualistic culture that ever existed. But the military is completely collective, part of the whole, uh, sorry, part of the whole dress the same, walk the same, with very little room to be an individual. Uh, and they will unapologetically admit that their job is to strip down the individual you are and build you back up. And, you know, that's true. Like, you see that. That's that's a, 
definitely how the military kind of couches itself. So if recruitment ads were being honest, they would say, come be one of many, uh, come give up any autonomy you have, join and be told exactly what to do every minute of every day, or even come and do your goddamn duty, you owe it to this country. <laughs> uh, but he says that would never fly, and I think that's true. So they sell career skills or pay or travel. And we talked about that. Like, yeah. where's the patriotism? Um, but they, they're trying to sell it as a product because they have that's marketing versus what it really is. Um, so that's how we get an army of one. What they should do is they should like have an ad where it's like somebody like me waking up. It's like I don't, I don't know what to wear today. I'm so right. sick of making. I just these need decisions. someone to tell me how to live every right. minute of every day. And then a sergeant comes in, bursts through the wall like the Kool Aid Man, says, "I have the answer for you." Yeah. So I think that's really interesting and, and absolutely telling. Like you have a product that's actually not that palatable. So you have to sell it in a way that is probably not really that honest. Right, right. Um, and this is from listener Tom. Well, can I just say, I wouldn't say honest or dishonest. I would just say focusing, like they they found the thing to focus on, which is, I mean, you do earn skills in the military. True. Although I think that uh, what I'm going to get to here makes a better point and, okay. and kind of, uh, kind of, kind of uh, re- reiterates that point about like, yeah, it's not all it's cracked up to be. Right. Um, so this is from listener Tom, who said he was reminded of this Saturday Night Live ad parody of the Navy recruiting commercial. Um, and I'll have you play it in a second here. But he says, this is from the point of view of someone who came of age in the 70s. Um, and the it's not just an adjo- it's not just a job, it's an adventure theme of Navy recruiting that was kind of well known back then. Um, was the subject of parody uh, in this ad. So why don't you go ahead and play this ad? This is back in the, like, from 1979. It's from a, an early episode of SNL. And um, it's just a, a a Navy recruitment ad. It's shot like a Navy recruitment ad, but uh, it's a little bit more realistic, and I'll kind of narrate it as we go here. Okay. This is Port of Call. Bayonne, New Jersey. Bayonne, New Jersey. Nowhere exotic. And it's just a bunch of sailors <laughs> doing like the most boring work, like laundry, mopping, painting, peeling potatoes. But they're kind of like doing laundry in a very military way. They're kind of like waving their arms sort as of, a but crane. It, but brings. it just looks like a like a boring factory job. I mean, they're cleaning toilets, uh, painting the sides of ships. But they have this music in the background that's like the same kind of like it's it's an adventure kind of music and just really underscores like see your local recruiter or call toll free it's not just a job it's 96 dollars and 78 cents <laughs> <laughs> do you remember that ad have you seen it before uh, um no although that line i think that's dan Aykroyd we hear at the yeah. end really rings a bell so i wonder if i just saw the end of that in like you know one of those montages of old snls or something uh, all right, and then we'll close out today with a voicemail uh, from Anthony, who uh, who also uh, touches on touches on some of the uh, the yes sir yes sir ads. Okay. Hey guys, it's uh, Anthony from Shalimar. Hey, um, so all right, I wanted to start. Andrew, you're right um, about. Okay, let's just the, let's just end it um, there. I've heard all I needed to hear. I love. The, is there a better phrase? Out the um, everybody loves Raymond. Uh, I remember Ray Romano in an interview saying that his brother in real life would always say, everybody loves Raymond. Uh, Like when Ray was getting all the attention and his brother wasn't. Um, And so he put that on TV. Um, 
So good call. Uh, your instincts were dead on. Um, second, th- God damn it! I should have wrote it down. Keep it um, together. Keep it together, Tony. No. Okay. So, um, Andrew, I'm having a one of you moments. Uh, hey. Um. Oh shit. Oh come on. It was not after. Andrew, it was after the the gay Swiffer ads. Um. Oh. Why can't why can't the military general in the Southwest ads both dislike his job and want to get away because of embarrassment? That's it. Yep. Um, so what if he needs to get – it's a twofer, right? It doesn't have to be one or the other, right? You can't – that's, so that's kind of good. Maybe it um, – yeah, it was kind of confusing uh, to you guys, um, but maybe to a – to other people, it would be like it's two different ways of interpreting it. Means that more people will get it, um, because you know the general, you know, say he hates his job, um, right? So he because he's stressed out and he needs to get away, right? And that's why his password is "I hate my job" because you got to change your password every fucking thirty days. Army regs, you know that shit. And so this week's pat or this month's password is I hate my job. Right? Okay. Um, but then also he wants to get away because he's embarrassed. So it's a twofer. All right. Power out. <laughs> Thanks, Anthony. We got there. Uh, let's not call those moments Andrew moments. If we could avoid doing that, that'd make me make me feel better. Um, all right. Let's get out of here and tell people how they can uh, call us and leave messages like that after they've been drinking. You can sell anything. You can sell anything. All right, Beach, what's that number? It's 607-444-5597. 607 444 Five five nine seven. We're always open. Leave us a voicemail there, or you can email us at after these messages show at gmail.com. And of course, the Facebook group is popping. It really is. We're still getting new members to, uh, joining every week. Thank you. Keep coming. Uh, we could do an eight-hour show every week if we if we talked about all the feedback on the Facebook face feedback on the Facebook group. That one's hard. Um, so there's a lot of stuff happening there, and it's a lot of fun. All right, guys, thanks so much. We'll talk to you next Tuesday. Find out all the reasons we the shit, the you the shit. You can sell anything.